We had, I think, around 6,000 companies signing up in a span of three weeks, which then gave us some issues because we were at the time, we, I think we had 40, 50 customers or so. Hi, welcome to the Founders with Pet podcast, where I interview amazing entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds about their journeys, successes, failures, and lessons along the way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Founders with Pet podcast, where we interview amazing SaaS founders on their journey of their successes and failures and lessons. It's a selfish way for me to learn, but also share with your the, the audience, you, you folks. Uh, and on today, we have the founder of Salesflare, Jeroen Korthout, who is hailing from Belgium. Good morning. Yeah, good, uh, good morning to you. Good evening yeah, to yeah. You. Yeah, actually, it's afternoon and evening for you. So a little bit about Salesflare. It's a CRM for B2B, SMB, and medium-sized businesses with over 2,000 customers, the number one easiest to implement uh, CRM in G2 and the number two easiest to use and best support in G2. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We'd like to get warmed up. And uh, so tell us a little bit, you know, this is my pithy description of, of Salesflare, but, it, you know, in your own words, what differentiates Salesflare from other CRMs? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're using and I know how well it's working for you, but a lot of people are a bit frustrated about their CRM because it's a ton of work. And if they don't put in all the work to keep the CRM fully up to date, it doesn't really help them. And we had that issue eight years ago ourselves. Uh, we tried many different systems. And we always felt like the sort of expectations that the system had uh, for us, like the, the amount of data input we were supposed to do to make it work was so huge. And we thought there must be a better way because we, we never managed to meet those expectations. And we thought we can automate that. We saw that actually most of the data we were inputting into the system was already somewhere. There's a lot of stuff in your emails, a lot of stuff in your calendar, you know, like your phone, your social media company databases, tracking of all kinds. And if we would only take all of that, integrate into it, pull it together, organize it, and then offer it to, to you, that would make it way easier to follow up your sales. And that's that's the idea with which you started eight years ago. That was really the the essence from where we began, but we've we've built a lot of things around that nowadays. It has essentially become from a, a sales CRM. It has absorbed so many different things now. It's so like a, it's like a full sales platform. Got it. And who is your ideal customer? We mainly have, on the one hand, agencies on the software. So think marketing agencies like yourself. Lots of those. Software development consultancies as well, consultancy of any kind, actually. And then on the other hand, we have a lot of tech companies. Those are SaaS companies. Those are telcos, but also other types of startups. And then obviously other, other types of companies. They're all almost all B2B because we really focus on B2B. We, we build our software in such a way that the company is central. That makes everything also way more easy to use. You don't need to have all these different relationships and different ways to support both B2B and B2C. So that's sort of where we draw the line. Sometimes we have people uh, selling B2C using us because they love it so much, but they have to jump through a few extra hoops to make that work. Got it. Thank you. Jeroen, maybe outside of Salesflare, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, maybe your family, family life and yeah, and personal interests. Yeah. My my dad is an engineer. 
My mom is an architect. They both like to build stuff, but in different ways. I think, I guess for my dad, it's more about the technology. He's really, he's really nerdy. Um, <laughs> at the moment, he's on the verge of retiring and he's found his new passion already. He's building a sort of automated microscope thing. So he has like these step motors that like guide the microscope. And then he made this Google Maps like interface to, to, to go through samples. So you can like, like scroll through it and move and that microscope follows it's really cool. crazy he showed me first time and then my mom is more yeah buildings and houses and stuff it's more about sort of organizing things in a practical and still beautiful way and i think i got a little bit of both actually when i was young i started building websites i was 15 16 or so flash was all the rage back then i don't know whether you remember uh well, i remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was it was a really cool time in the like it could do so many uh, nice visual things and you could go so far in the interactivity. It was so cool. But then it started dying because it was, it was also heavy. And nowadays, HTML5 can do a lot of the things that Flash used to do, but still Flash was, it was so easy to do it all. I, I, I made a, a bunch of these websites and I actually dreamt of uh, making that my career at the time. I, I didn't I didn't even go to university yet. But then when I went to university, I figured engineering, well, my dad has always pushed me in that direction, first of all. But secondly, also, I thought if I do software engineering or something like that, then I can I can follow that path and start making websites and all that for people. I went to the open day and I figured software engineering was a little nerdy. I saw the the display what people were displaying in terms of projects and I saw the people and I was like, mm, maybe not software engineering. I ended up doing biomedical engineering in the end. Then when I went applying for jobs, I figured that I actually didn't really want to be an engineer. I, I loved studying it, but I wanted to build stuff with customers and not per se being that person in the back room building stuff. I wanted to, I wanted that interaction. So I studied business school for a year and that enabled me to make a switch to Mark. I figured that being a product manager was the way to go for me to, to learn how that all worked. That was a, it was a mistake. I, I became a product marketing manager. It was super boring in a big <laughs> pharma company. I did that for 10 months. Then I switched to a consultancy where actually I was building websites again at the start. Over time, we evolved to, we helped pharma companies who are notoriously bad at uh, digital stuff, but becoming more digital and beginning a lot of websites. But in the end, we were doing this full campaigns where we'd basically replace the sales force with digital touch points. But from there, I always knew I wanted to start my own company. So I went part-time. I tried a bunch of different projects of which all of them failed. And actually, Salesflare is my, my first successful company now. Oh, congrats. Yeah, tell me about... Uh... Doctura, you know, you you founded, uh, like you say that that's the, the Salesforce is your first successful company, but Doctura was something you you had for nine years. Yeah, that's that's actually it turned into my management company. So formal, it started off as a so so doctors like physicians are a huge group of people that want to follow research. But the way uh, to follow research is really built for researchers, and it's really hard for doctors to stay up to date in a nice way. Uh, if they want to read relevant um, studies in the areas that they're exactly interested in, it, it's really not adapted for that. So I, I, I had a system in mind that would make that all work. Imagine a sort of, uh, I don't know what you know, Flipboard. Uh, mm -hmm. That's sort of what I had in mind. But then for doctors with studies, and it would like surface the relevant things. If they follow this and that, then 
they would get uh, the interesting stuff. I tried to get that off the ground. The biggest issue I had was I didn't know really how I was going to make money. I thought ads, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a sort of chicken or the egg problem. In the beginning, you really need to get the thing going. And otherwise, if you don't have any audience, you cannot sell ads. And convincing, uh, so I, I didn't have a, a technical co-founder, convincing someone to then build it with me was really hard because they had to leave something behind and there was no money. And so in the end, and that was probably where it started going wrong, I started developing it myself. And after a while, I just had to give up. And then what gave you kind of the, the, the insight to start Salesflare? Yeah, I've, I've done a, a bunch of things in between. But when I was on Doctura, actually, uh, I, I was in a, a startup incubator called the Founder Institute. And my current co-founder was there as well. He had another idea, a company uh, that he was starting. And we were in the same group. We had to help each other. Uh, so we became friends. And at some point he calls me. So that's like about a year later. And he says, I'm, I'm going to Vegas in a few weeks. I'm going to a conference. I'm going to sell my products there as a software company. And we still need someone to help us in sales. Uh, do you want to join perhaps? I'll pay everything to go to Vegas. And, you know, it's going to be fun. So we did that. And it was a big success. Like we managed to get a lot of leads. And that's, that's where Salesforce started because we had all these leads they were all interested, but we still had to close the deals. And it was it was so hard to follow them up correctly, especially hard because it was they were business intelligence professionals. And I don't know what you've ever dealt with business intelligence professionals, but they're the sales cycles are extremely long. So they they tell you, well, I'm really interested in this, but I'm now on a project. So can you call me back in six months or so? You know, this right, kind of, right. kind of attitude. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to follow up very precisely over long periods of time. So it required really good follow up. Yeah. And and the reason you had this idea for Saleslayer was it because nothing at the time you found really helped you with these follow ups? Nothing. Well, I mean, things were built for it, but they they just so you had systems. I remember we tried even Five Drive, I think, back in the day, but it was it was really easy. To, to put things in there, really easy to set up. And it was really built for sales follow-up. But the issue we had is that it still required us to input a lot of stuff. So every, so imagine you, you, you're in touch with a company. First, you input that company, your name and the website and everything you know about it, everything you find, you all put in the system, you're constantly typing. And then you, you're in touch with the first person, you add that person, name, email address, all that. Up till there, it's fine. I mean, you it's your first step into the system and that's okay. But then you, you, you're in touch with people, you're selling and there's emails, there's calls, there's meetings. And every time back in the day, there wasn't even email sync. So everything had to be input. And then you, you all of a sudden you meet a new person and you need to have that reflex that you add that person. And if you forget, it's not in the system and you can, you can forget that you actually know that extra person. And then, you know, things start building up that way. And we thought, we cannot manage that. So we, we, our system nowadays, for instance, if you look at a company, it already pulls a lot of stuff from a company database. So it pre-fills that. Then it tells you, these are the people you know, based on your email communication and your calendar and all that. These are the people you know. And we also found extra information about on social media, but also they sent you emails with email signatures. 
And we got these email signatures and we put that information there. And these are the people, your colleagues now, because we also connect to their email and calendar and all that. And then if you add people, just one click, and it, then it tells you, okay, these were the emails you exchanged. These are the meetings you had. These are the calls you placed. They opened your emails. They clicked them into your website that long. The whole thing is immediately vis visible. And that just changes <laughs> the dependency on you as a salesperson. Right, you know I mean. right. It, it does so much for you kind of out of the box. And it, it tries to anticipate what you need. I, I liked, uh, I was watching a video of SalesLayer and one of the, I liked the sort of suggested tag tasks that you had by pulling it from from things so yeah, that, yeah those are things you can then start doing based on the data when you have the data and and the system knows this is when you were last in touch and stuff, then it can do things based on that but it requires that information first so that's why we really focused on making sure that the data input is not the blocking factor anymore right right now, how, how did you start it? So you found your co-founder at Founders Institute. So tell me more kind of about the, the beginning and like what were some of the, you know, like at, at what point did you say, oh, this, this is the idea? I think we go back almost exactly eight years ago. We were sitting together in an office. We were trying to organize a sales follow-up and we were super frustrated. And then we had that idea. Actually, I think I, I sent out the first email newsletter that we had and I showed my co-founder MailChimp. And he had never seen it before. And I, I show him like, oh, look, you can see when people open stuff. You can see when they click and all that. And he's like, wow, I can do that. And then, you know, from there, everything started expanding. We thought like, oh, but if you know when the emails are sent and you know when the meetings happen and then, and then you can get information here. And then, you know, this, uh, this system started developing. And we immediately thought like one of the first things I did, you know, that Salesforce thing, that's a software and then there's a a big yeah. red thing through it. I made right. I made something like that with CRM and then a big red thing through it. I've had that <laughs> on our stand-up, like our roll-up banners for a long time. What we what we figured is uh, if we want to focus on this, it's going to be a lot of work. So we need money. And we saw this thing. I don't know whether you know Kima Ventures. I don't know whether it's still... I, I think they're still around. But back in the day, they had a thing called Kima 15. And for 15% of your company, very early stage, they, they, they would give you 150K. So you're immediately valued at a million, you could say. Well, post money at least. And they would make the decision in 15 days. So that was really uh, appealing to us. Yeah, 15%, and, 15 days. It's a good uh, marketing uh, branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they were really serious about it. Now, they also said, uh, read this book. Was uh, getting real by the guys at, at the time, 37 Signals now, Basecamp. And if you read that book and follow this and send us a pitch deck and you have a prototype or whatever, apply. So we did all these things. We read that book. I think it's the only book I ever convinced my co-founder to read. And then I made the presentation. He made a prototype and we sent that to Kima and their response pretty quickly was, I think you guys are a bit too early stage. But at least we had put in that first work, you know, and, and we used what we had to apply to a local uh, incubator and a local accelerator and another accelerator. And we got up in the end, we got uh, accepted to all. And that's when the ball sort of started rolling. Amazing. So tell us what, what worked, you know, what's been working, you know, any lessons learned there, what didn't work, what went, what, yeah, what went well, what didn't go well. There's a, there's a lot of things to unpack. You want to go any specific direction or? Well, I, I think maybe like in terms of, you know, kind of early customers, 
How did you get your first early customers? Uh, our first customers, I think. So part of them were through our personal network and part through extended network because we did customer interviews. So at the end of each customer interview, we would ask, it was first with people we knew. And then we asked, who else do you, that you know we, sh- we should also interview? And then, and then they brought us in touch with other people. We got some first customers from there, but our very first ones, I think including the first and the second customer, they came from PR. At first, when you're starting up, you can still get in the press because it's new, this new thing. And then I think the next time you can get in the press as a, as a startup is when you raise money. Yeah. Uh, but when you really knew you you can you can grab that chance as well. And we got a few times in like in the local imagine the financial times of Belgium. We got in there four or five times I think. A few times in the in the tech publication, the the national well, yeah. The leading so, so that one. helped getting the early customers. Yeah, that that really helped uh because it it enabled us to put our vision out there for a lot of people. And if only a few of those were really triggered by it, that, that was a win. Great, great. And then I guess the other thing is like, at, how did you scale that? Because obviously press is not sustainable oh. sounds as a strategy. <laughs> no, no. I think from there, we got customers from our own network, extended network, from the, the incubator and accelerator we were in accelerator we we knew people and uh, we could sell in the beginning it was very sales driven yeah which was which was good in a way because it enabled us to learn a lot as opposed to just putting a website live with a a sign up for free trial kind of thing and then not know who's signing up and for what reason and what's going wrong and all that everything was super um, guided not self-guided guided by us so having customer success to really help them be successful on onboarding and yeah oh it's me i mean yeah i, I would yeah. i would do everything from the business development to the sales the demos the customer success mm-hmm. everything and we did that until we were like we had 20 30 customers or so then we discovered uh, that we could get some leads through uh quora yeah, Quora was ranking well in Google Google search results back in the day. So, so we started writing answers there and then there was upvoting and downvoting going on. And then we, could, we were on top of these listings and then people would get to our site and, and request trials because we didn't have like, you, could, you couldn't sign up for a trial, you had to talk to me. And but that, that worked for a while, but that Quora nowadays is not so present in search results anymore. And also it has really turned into a a weird place. Well, at least in, in the categories we were in. And then we sort of started replacing that with our, our first big new stream of leads was a product hunt. Uh, yeah, I saw you were on product hunt. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've launched quite a, uh, a few things on product hunt since then, but our very first launch was Salesforce itself. We prepped that for a while. We really did our best to have a big impact. I think the first day we already reached like 700 upvotes or so. And I think by now we're sort of at the double of that. That was first the, the the start of really getting attention, getting the word out there. Back then, I think Product Hunt was also still a bit more grassroots. People were still, it was smaller in, in, in terms of community, but the community was, was stronger. And then from there, our success on Product Hunt convinced the people at AppSumo. AppSumo is a sort of, for people who don't know AppSumo, it's, for people who don't know Product Hunt, it's like a a product community, always the latest products, uh, producthunt.com, where if you and want typically to typically SaaS new, products or tech products, yeah. Yeah, or designing things mm-hmm. or content or, uh, 
And then AppSumo is like a Groupon for software, you could say. Yeah. We also still no Groupon. Uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, they take a lot, right, percentage-wise. And then you have to, do you still have to offer like a lifetime deal or what is that? Yeah. Yeah, but we, we made our lifetime deal in such a way that was only one user was, was free for life. And then additional users, you could you could buy at a discount. But uh, yeah, I don't know whether it's still the same. And back in the day, it was 70%. Wow. Of the, so, so basically, you have people pay a small sum to use your software for life, and you only get 30% of it. Now, if you look at it like that, it's a horrible deal. But if you look at it the other way, and you say, somebody is going to send an email to a million people saying, use this. And these people will get so attached to you because they, they bought your software that they're going to help you with reviews, with telling other people, with giving you feedback and all those kind of things. They're going to do free marketing. The whole thing is actually you get paid to do marketing. Then it is actually a good deal. Right, right. You have to kind of look at it from a different lens of this is not a a gen, like a it's not a customer acquisition, but more more of a marketing play, right? Yeah, it's not a yeah. it's not a direct way to make money. It's uh, but it's going yeah. to pay off in the long run. At least if if you're aligned with the the the, the customer base that uh, Absumo yeah. represents, and if you also have a product that people are going to talk about, and if your product is even a product that is becomes more visible when it's used, that's not so much our product, but if you have a product like that, it even makes more sense. Right, right. With usage, then you just want want more people to use it, and then they'll see yeah. more of it. Yeah, yeah. So, the, was that successful in terms of the AppSumo deal? In terms of like what you envisioned in people signing up and and having the lifetime deal? Like, did enough people sign up? Whether they're the right customers? Yeah, I would say generally relatively well aligned. We mostly appeal to well a lot of agencies. Like I said, yeah, AppSumo audience is is. There's a lot of agencies on there as well. They are slightly smaller than our general target audience. Many of those are solopreneurs, maybe with a VA, maybe there are a few people, but usually not bigger than that, but but still still pretty good. We had, I think, around 6,000 companies signing up in a span of three weeks, which then gave us some issues because we were at the time, we, I think we had 40, 50 customers or so. No, wow. <laughs> you add you add six thousand companies. That's uh, exactly like the Groupon effect, right? Like a small business, yeah. like you used to have maybe twenty tables, right? And then they do a Groupon, and then all of a sudden it's like thousands of people sign up, and they all want to yeah. show up at your restaurant at once. Yeah, totally overwhelmed. Yeah, that was that was a feeling. We we did support uh, twenty four, not seven, but five. Um, uh, how big were you that was the team then the team was about the size we were today we i would say in the beginning we we hired a little too quickly uh, right now we have the same size of team but back then we were hemorrhaging money and now we are making money so it's different but we were yeah also seven people i think we were seven yeah oh so you you've been seven for for a while or? yeah we've been seven now for five years we we are uh, big believers of automation so we don't spend a lot of time on routine things actually for instance there's there's uh, this you said you said we have the second best support on g2 this is just just let's say um two-thirds of my colleague taylor's time goes to our customers all the rest of the time we we spend is is all building products, it's building marketing channels, it's building content. We don't waste a lot of time. Yeah. 
So uh, double click into that. The, you're big believers of automation. Obviously, you're, you're accomplishing a lot with seven people. Maybe give us some examples of what you are automating and like what, what is providing high leverage to you? Like what, what sort of automation tasks did you automate that, that's really giving you high leverage? I need to pick a few now. We use where our, our main automation tools are obviously Salesforce, but the Zapier is huge uh, for us. It's this tool for people who don't know with which you can uh, say, if this happens here in this software, then make this happen. And then maybe that. And then maybe in another that, piece that, of software. That. Yeah. Yeah. And you can make whole flows like that. I think we have 120 Zaps or so running at all times to automate uh, lots of things in our, our company. Intercom is also really important to us. Intercom helps us with automating a lot of the customer interactions we have. So uh, obviously when you ask us a question or so, we are going to respond. We're not big fans of the sort of chatbots or so. A chatbot that that says, when, when you ask a question that suggests articles, that's that's okay. But the chatbot that is going to have a whole conversation with you, that usually doesn't end too well. Not yet, at least. So, but we have a lot of automated uh, follow-up messages, very personalized based on a lot of triggers, offering our help when you do your first, connecting with people automatically uh, when they sign up uh, for a trial on LinkedIn. We have follow-ups, like if they reach a certain activation level to say, uh, are you finding everything? We always try to be there at the right times, but we don't have to do a lot of effort to do that. And actually, even like when we, we, we spend some extra time on, on following up larger companies, the, our whole pipeline in Salesforce, we fully automated that with a combination of like triggers on our database, things happening in Intercom, things happening in Salesflare to make sure that we don't have to click through everything and find out what's going on here and then drag things and then contact people. It's only the, the exceptions or the, the, the personal attention uh, that we spend time on. That makes Got sense. it. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're using your human cycles to, to spend time with customers and then the other stuff you can try to automate. Um, That's yeah. what we believe in as well. Like, like there's so many things that robots are better at than we are. Like robots are better at managing data. Robots yeah. are better at uh, doing certain things consistently. If something if something feels routine after a while, then 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 you think, well, this may be something for a robot. But there's other things that where where a human being is is so good at it, like having a conversation with someone, trying to understand their problems, the context, empathizing. I think yeah, that's a robot be- can never do that for not for a while. Yeah. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. So you started. You said you you touched on that uh, briefly that you you started with you were bleeding money for a while and you you had a pretty big team very early. What was the funding situation and you know maybe give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, this is slightly different than in the US. So so we are based in your funding is different here. I'm I'm sure that within the US it's also different whether you're in uh, San Francisco or Ch- Chicago like you are now. Oh, I think there's a. a Funding is like very unique, you know, like like funding that most people think of is very unique in San Francisco Bay, yeah. but then the rest of the U.S., you know, is is its own, you know, yeah, it's different. Yeah, and Europe is even different. So, so the way we fund things, we started off with some money from an accelerator, then we added uh, a subsidy to that immediately. That was one of the first. Is things. that like a government subsidy or what? Is- a government subsidy. So the yeah. European government has all kinds of money for innovation. 
And it goes through the local government. So the Flemish government, is the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium, has these kind of programs. And we did a feasibility study. So they basically help us to see whether what we have in mind is feasible. And we got uh, 50K for that. And then when we had these two, then we went to the bank and then we said, we'd like some money to bridge the gaps here. And we got 100K from them. And then... Um, that was a loan. That was a loan. Right. It was a sort of investment loan that you pay back over X months. But in, in a good way, right? You got a grant, a subsidy, you, you got a loan, so you didn't dilute yourself. So in a, in a way that's, you know, instead of kind of just having bridge rounds and... Yeah, we, we did raise some angel money, and but that's that's about it. Yeah, we didn't dilute much. Yeah, yeah. And so how many co-founders or business partners? Is it the one or do you have more? No, it's just the two of us. Okay, um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so so those things went well. What, what are some hard lessons learned? And <laughs> what would you do different? What are some of the things that you would impart on folks that you do different? I think that the two most stressful things are probably um, running out of money and people problems. Running out of money, I would say the simple advice is get more money uh, <laughs> earlier. I, I used to have a tendency to always uh, scramble for money at the last moment, which is a very bad idea. And uh, it always worked out somehow. When I'm under pressure at some point, I uh, start looking in lots of different ways, but still I wouldn't recommend it. It, it, it brings a lot of stress. And another big thing is people problems. And I would say if, if you focus anywhere, it starts with hiring. First, don't hire too early, especially not for roles that you haven't figured out yourself yet. This is something you might want to do because you feel like there's probably people better at figuring it out. You know, there's more qualified people. Why don't we just bring them in and they're going to solve it for us? But it doesn't work that way. These people are like, let's take what happens in a lot of companies, especially if, if, if you're a technical co-founder, is you think, if I just bring in someone who's really great at sales, it's going to solve all my issues. Well, it's not the case because first of all, that person doesn't know as much about your uh, customers and your solution as you do. They don't have the same passion. So that already puts them at, at a... At a a disadvantage, even if even if they're a better salesperson, and but also it it creates a sort of distance between you and the customer, which you cannot afford at these early stages. Actually, at at any stage, I think you should try to to stay as close as possible, and it makes it very hard to iterate because you that person is is part of that iteration, and and the more people are part of, of an iteration, the longer it takes and the more difficult it is. Changing alone is easy. Changing with a bunch of people together is, is way harder. I, I would say don't, don't hire that for a salesperson. Really do it yourself. It, it, may be, it may feel scary, but actually sales is not really that hard. It's just about listening very well to people. And taking that time to listen, don't, don't just tell your story and you know, it's, it's never going to close a sale. Listen to what it is that they that they have issues with, why they haven't solved it, what the sort of parameters are around that, who else may be in the company may need to decide on it, what these people find important. And, and try doing that with a lot of people. Try organizing yourself well around that so you respect these people's timelines and next steps and all those kind of things. And that's all there is to it. If you then just display your 
your passion for what you're doing in the meantime, I don't think you need much more. And then at some point, obviously, you can bring in someone that is a better salesperson, but at least then you can teach them all the things you've learned throughout that process. Yeah. When you haven't figured out what message is resonating, who the ideal typical customer profile yet, and, and all that stuff as a founder, I think... Yeah, it is is very, way too early to to bring in, you know, because a lot of salespeople they they expect some of that, right, to be to be mm-hmm. ready, like that for you to have figured that out. And you're right, if it's if you haven't figured it out, the messaging, who the ideal customer are, what the playbooks are, having case studies ready, like that's those are the tools. I think you know you have to set up people up for success. Yeah, and 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 they can definitely perfect it once you once you understood yeah. it all. Uh, but in these very early stages, they're, they're not going to figure it out for you. Uh, they also don't care as much as you do. So Right, so right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. So it's, it's going to be a while. When yeah. when did you start bringing your uh, sales person in then? Oh, way too early. That's why I'm, <laughs> that's I'm, a, I'm saying this. Yeah, I think, <laughs> when was it? I think we it was still 2016 even. We had like... If you have customers, I think a few. Yeah, we, we, we must have had three or so. Yeah. And it was going really slow and we were really frustrated. And we were like, somebody can help us. And, you know, it was done. Yeah. And in terms of sales cycles, what how long does it typically take to sell uh, salesware? You know, to go, um, kind of go from... 20, 30 days on average. Our, our trial is also around that. So it starts with seven days. And then we give you extra days on the trial as you set the software up better. If you set the software up perfectly, you get 30 days, which is a great motivator for people to, to get set up well, which makes that, uh, well, it doesn't only convert better. Also, we have lower churn uh, because people actually do their best. That's an interesting sort of game mechanic, right? Like usually, like I've never thought of that, but attaching you know a success like onboarding success metric to extending a trial could be a good gamification mechanic yeah because because it's 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 a bit weird perhaps because we make software that and we really focus on making things really easy to use really easy to understand with a few clicks you can set it up but this also has a dark side in the sense that it's so easy for people that they think they don't have to think it through anymore and they don't have to do everything immediately, and and they don't really get set up correctly, which then makes that at some point they're like, this doesn't work for me. But that's just because they didn't put in any effort. Uh, so sometimes uh, you need to add that little extra friction, or you need to motivate people to go a bit further, or and that that can really make a big difference because a lot of people just figure like, Oh, I need a CRM. It's going to, it's going to improve my sales. And maybe you're you're like, imagine you're a team of five and you're like, we don't have a CRM. We should get one. We're going to be more organized. Just one guy researches the CRM, invites the others. They all get on and they're like, we're going to use it now. This is not a great situation. First of all, the person doesn't know whether the others like the CRM, which is, which is bad. They got no buy-in. They didn't discuss how to use it together. They have no idea how they're going to fill it out. They have no idea what the sales process looks like. Maybe one guy has programmed it, but they haven't discussed what the stages mean in the sales process, for instance. You don't know what a, what a field means and why you're filling out the field and what you're going to do with it so that you, you sort of have that in mind when you do it so that in the end, when everybody looks at the data, everything means the same thing. You know, there's a lot of issues 
that arise from not taking this very small amount of time to discuss things with each other, to get set up. So we try to motivate people to do that. We try to help people to do that. But at a time where software is so easy and we're really, we're really doing our best to make it super easy, it is extra hard to do that. Yeah. How do you solve that? Is it just through pure software? Are you using kind of like basically labor of like, hey, it sounds like a, almost like a setup or onboarding project or process from the way you're describing it, right? It is, it is partly uh, perfecting onboarding and building in mechanisms in there. And, and it's, it's still work in progress. I, we're, we're currently thinking about integrating into that whole thing, integrating some sort of academy, but that's also really hard because people, I mean, they don't necessarily want to follow an academy. So most of the time we spend on how we're going to motivate people. It's almost like we're building a game or so, but partly it's, it's just by trying to get involved, trying to get the permission of people and the trust to be able to help them. Yeah. 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 Right now. Yeroon, thank you so much as we get up on the hour for all, all the wisdom. I, I got, you know, some few nuggets that that help inform our, our users and, and myself as well as, you know, we go on our own independent SaaS journeys. Is there, I'd love to share with our audience, you know, any offers and special deals through through this podcast, if you will. Yeah, definitely. If, you, if you're interested in, in trying a Salesforce, if you're looking for something to follow up your leads in a better way, and you're tired of the stuff you've tried. like So you obviously you get the 30 days uh, trial, like I just said, but we can offer you when you sign up after that, uh, a 25% uh, discount for three months. Uh, you can just use PEC25. So- okay, yeah. So so the PEC25 code for 25% off for three months. Oh, thank you so much, Jeroen. Uh, really welcome. appreciate it. How do people... Who, you know, who want to follow your journey, stay in touch with you, get in touch with you. What's the best way? I think best way to, well, if you know, want to know more about Salesflare, salesflare.com. Uh, that's pretty easy. It's the Flare, F-L-A-R-E. And if you want to follow me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. There's only one person with my exact name, so it's not too hard. <laughs> if you want to send a connection request, I'm, I'm up for that, but do include a personal message. Otherwise, I don't know where you're coming from. I have to assume spam. But if you include a personal message, then I'll certainly get in touch with you and we can chat. Great, great. Thank you so much, Jeroen. And yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Founders with Peck. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel. If you leave us a review, I'll be sure to shout it out. And if you have any questions, you can tweet me on Twitter. 